Welcome to Trinity Radio. You found the Christian channel that loves atheists. And today we're going to be taking a look at Link three years out from the announcement of his deconstruction, deconversion, and the new religion that he has begun. So let's jump right into that with this. When we first started talking about our spiritual journeys, it, it was very much like that buzzword of like deconstruction, like breaking things down from my evangelical upbringing that I've discovered that I would be better off shedding. Very specifically, just like guilt and shame. This perceived constant judgment, whether it comes from God or from people that I respect, and, and I think most constantly myself my inner critic, if you want to call it. Therapy's been really good for me over the past year. Like, it's just really started to click into place. And one of the exercises that we've worked on is discussing it, unpacking it, but also kind of getting in my body with it and breathing, have a breathing exercise where I breathe in self-compassion and I breathe out self-judgment. It was so ingrained that yeah, my default position is is bad. I'm a bad. I'm I'm bad at my core. So one of the things that has been plaguing Link, as far as we've been following these videos, is that he still has some of those um, concerns about himself and how he should view himself and all of that sort of thing from when he was a Christian. I mean, I think it was last year that Link was talking about how, um, even when he reads now, the, the, some of these parables of Jesus, he's like, oh, I, I, my, my thought is like, oh, what if I'm that rich man who forgot everything he knew? And so this stuff is 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 still knocking around in Link's brain. Uh, now, I will say right at the beginning, I really appreciate about Link that he, in at least two or three of these videos, maybe all these videos he's done on this, he has made a point to to say, I'm not in, I'm not just blaming the church for this. Okay, he says a lot of this is just me or, or whatever else, and I do appreciate that because there are th a thousand TikTokers and a thousand YouTubers who will say that it was a hundred percent the church in a case like his, and in his case, and and maybe. In some of those cases it is, but in uh, Link's case, I love the humility that we get on that. And of course, a lot of this is uh, very humble um, as he's as he's kind of admitting that he, what he doesn't know. Now, here is the the specific concern is shedding guilt and shame. Now, um, guilt. It's important to say at the beginning of this that um, guilt and shame, and we're going to come back to this more in just a few minutes. But guilt and shame are not necessarily bad things intrinsically. Now, we are more so in a culture uh, where guilt and shame are seen as always a bad thing or most often a bad thing, but it's a pain. Just like pain can, uh, just like physical pain is a very important thing to help you to know when things are dangerous or you shouldn't do that anymore to stop you from doing this horrible thing. Guilt and shame, when functioning correctly within a good worldview, can do that same thing to keep you from doing the things that you shouldn't do and keep you on the right road. Um, in fact, on this issue of pain, if people don't have physical pain, think about what happens to them. This is from a 2017 BBC article, and it says, of the patients I've worked with, this is talking about people who congenitally were unable to feel pain, of the patients I've worked with in the UK, so many of the males have killed themselves by their late 20s uh, by doing ridiculously dangerous things, not restrained by pain, says Jeff Woods who researches pain at the Cambridge Institute for Medical Research. Or they have such damaged joints that they are wheelchair-bound and end up committing suicide because they have no quality of life. That's the sort of thing that can happen if someone can't experience physical pain, even though it might sound like some kind of superpower to the rest of us. 
Well, guess what? Uh, in a non-physical way, you also experience things, a, a pain of sorts, um, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, I would say, that end up protecting you from making some really bad decisions that would be really, really bad, obviously. And, and we know this. E even outside of Christianity, you know that guilt and shame can function that way. Think about if a man cheats on his wife. He, he, he's made a commitment to her. He's, he's made a covenant with her, even if it's completely secular. And then he goes out and sleeps with some other woman. All right. Should he feel guilt and shame about this? Now, some might say, well, it's not really important whether he feels guilt or shame. It's just that he needs to fix things with his wife. Well, what's going to drive him to fix things with his wife? Hopefully the fact that he loves her and feels guilty for having done this because he is guilty. He's not just feeling guilty. He is guilty. And he feels shame because that was a shameful act. And it's okay to point out when something is a shameful act. And so this sort of psychological, emotional, or spiritual pain, just like physical pain, can keep you from doing things that will destroy you, things that will mess your life up and will wreck your life. Now, um, if Christianity is true, I understand that we're saying that, that uh, Link is saying that he's no longer a Christian. He said that outright. He's got a new religion. He's going to tell us about here in a few minutes. And, and I realize all that is true. But if Christianity is true, then guess what? It could be there are that God is using some conviction of the spirit, which we would call emotional, spiritual, or psychological uh, pain a, a little bit to, to prompt you to do the right thing. It's what Christians, it's, it's Christians refer to this as the conviction of the spirit. Uh, Lincoln Rhett know this, but uh, Paul talks about a godly sorrow that works repentance, not to be repented of. In other words, this is a pain that you should be glad you have because it, it works repentance in you and, and gets you to do the right thing. And you shouldn't be upset about that. You should be glad for that. Uh, a wise man loves correction, that sort of thing. And now, I'm not saying that religious trauma doesn't exist. I'm not saying that at all, and maybe it was experienced. What I am saying is that when we're talking about particular issues, and I've said this before, I've said it at the Rethinking Hell Conference, I'm going to say it now. It, when we're talking about tough things uh, that, that maybe are hard to accept, they may be terrifying and they may be traumatic, but the question is, are they true? Is it true? Because if it's true, it still might be very important that you that you accept it, believe it, act on it, um, even if it is a terrifying or traumatic thing. For example, imagine a man who's been smoking for a long time, three packs a day for years, and his doctor has to have a very difficult conversation with him in which he tells him, you know, the, the bad news is you, you may have a serious illness and you need to stop this right now. Your life is on the line. Well, that's going to be terrifying. That's going to be traumatic for him. But but it's true. And because it's true, he needs to know this hard truth so that he can fix it. And, um, and, and, you know, ostensibly link is not shutting off guilt and shame as it might come to him. And I'm not, he hasn't said this explicitly, but you can't function in the world if you don't accept a certain amount of that. Like if his wife shares with him that she's deeply disappointed in him about something or something that happens where maybe he accidentally or, or you know, somehow wrongs one of his kids or something. There's got to be a, a level of guilt or shame there that everybody expects, right? And so that's obviously a good thing. But it seems like what Link is doing is he's cutting it off or severing it at the point where it has to do with, with God and Christianity because he has walked away from God or Christianity. But if Christianity is true, then what that means is those things are there to be helpful. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't go overboard with the guilt and shame. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But 
Um, he mentions, I've said I like that he, that he says he's not just trying to, to trash Christianity, but here again, we get the vibe that upbringing really caused some of the lasting emotional damage. But of course, what we really want to know is not what is, what we really want to know is whether it's true or not. And, uh, so there are three things here. One, if Christianity is true, it means that some of the bad feelings that, that, Link has experienced that he calls guilt and shame might well be the convicting influence of God calling you back. Now, I've already said that. Now, two, much of those bad feelings are the result of bad but common theology relating to human anthropology. You are not some useless screw up. You are made in the image of God, and he is wild about you. Listen, if your theology led you to think that you should feel miserable all the time, that you should constantly think of yourself as, as so uh, horrific that you're unworthy of, 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 uh, of any love from anywhere, or that God God doesn't love you in this way that he wants you to flourish, then that was a result of bad theology. That's all that was. And three, but three, choosing to use workarounds. Now, look, I've, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not, I'm not a counselor in, in any sense of that we're speaking of here. But I, I want to say that while I think those breathing exercises are really, really helpful, I use them too. Um, and some of the other things that he's talking about that, that he's, that he's trying to practice. That's all, that's all good. But here's the thing. If what you're, if, if you're using those good, those good things to try and circumvent something that God actually does want from you in your case to come back to him, then that's not good. That's, that's a bad thing. God loves you. God wants you to flourish. And yes, that means just like with any relationship, there's going to be a feeling of, of, feelings of guilt and shame, but choosing to use workarounds to live comfortably in spite of important, painful, um, and possibly convicting prompts will only destroy the spiritual life even more. This path leads to death. Now, from here, Link's going to talk about how he wants to be done with deconstruction in a certain sense. He might still work on some things that he needs to get out of his life or whatever, but now he wants to actually construct something. So let's hear about that. Get letting myself off the hook to say officially, I, re I resolved to to know nothing, to have no defense, a verbal defense for 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 my belief, to have some coherent uh, worldview. That's just another level of pressure, and it just invites a lot of self judgment. You know that I'm not something that I feel like I should be, should, 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 mm -hmm. but. I'm going to be who I'm going to be who I am and I'm going to see where that goes. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of this is making any sense. What do you hear me saying? I hear you saying that you are discovering uh, or embracing who you are and yeah. that there is a um, all you can do is be the best you that you can be. And you're kind of figuring out what that what that looks like. Yeah. So he resolves to know nothing. Now, I get that that's, in, that's humble, and I get that he's just kind of laying his cards out there on the table, but um, if it is true that, that you, I mean, th this is kind of mirroring the words of Paul where he says, I resolve to know nothing except Christ and him crucified, okay? And we're going to find out later that Link actually does, um, Link actually does hold a lot of other things uh, he, he is resolved to know quite a number of things as true, but, but com completely contradicting one of the tenets of his own religion on the first day of the religion. But the point is to say he resolves 
to know nothing. Now, he later says he was resolved to know nothing, to have no defense. If he tries to work out a coherent worldview, he's afraid that that opens him up to more pressure and more judgment. And he says, quote, that I'm not what I feel like I should be. Should, should, should somewhere, he says. Rhett says, I hear you saying that you're discovering who you are and all you can be is the best you that you can be. Now, first of all, you can't really choose not to have a worldview. You just can't. It may not be all worked out in your mind completely or, or like you say, all coherent and everything, but, but you're going to have some kind of a worldview. And when you say something like, I want to be the best me that I can be, or at least he agrees with Rhett's summation of what he's just said as uh, you, you want to be the best you that you can be and you're trying to figure out what that looks like. When you say something like that, you're already constructing or, or revealing part of a worldview and, and about some items. And they're not simple items. It goes straight to the transcendent. I mean, we could ask Link, why should you be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be? I mean, let, and then let's, stat, let's, let's even go further and say, if you could be the best version of yourself that you could be, we don't even know what that is. What do words like better, best, worse, worst, what do these words even mean on your worldview? The one in which you have resolved to know nothing. It's a worldview that says, um, I, should, I shouldn't focus on what I should, should, should be. Instead, I should focus on what I should be, the, the best version of myself. That means on Link's worldview, th that's a moral good for him. That's something he should do, be the best version of himself. On the one hand, he hasn't given us or even himself any good reason why he should do any particular thing. And on the other, we're told that he's not going to focus on what he should do, but instead he's going to focus on doing what he should do. So what we find out is it's not that Link doesn't have a worldview with even a lot of stuff in it. And, and everybody else does, it's no, instead, Link has a worldview. He just doesn't want to be judged for that worldview or see it pressed too much. But you cannot escape this. You will walk outside and you will have some color tinted glasses that will impact how you move about in the world and behave. And to ignore this or to say you don't have to worry too much about that uh, or whatever is implied here in, the, in that regard, that path leads to death. As James Sire says in the book, Naming the Elephant, he says, the fact is that we cannot avoid assuming some answers to such questions. We will adopt either one stance or another. Refusing to adopt an explicit worldview will turn out to be itself a worldview or at least a philosophic position. In short, we are caught. So long as we live, we will live either the examined or the unexamined life. Having some certain tenets, like being present, receiving love, giving love, like, um, when I feel like I'm in, like, when I feel like I'm in my sweet spot, uh, spiritually or in, in any way, uh, physically, when I'm, when I feel like vibrant and healthy, the thing that I find myself saying is I got love to give. Mm -hmm. If you, if you want it, here it is. Like, that, I mean, I just feel like there's something, uh, when, when I'm in that zone, it's, it kind of feels magical and it's, and it's, and it's beautifully simple. And that's, that's what I say. I got, I found myself having love to give not, and nothing feels better. There's a lot of things that feel good, but like that feels really good. That's definitely up there. That's definitely up there in terms of like, like having this secure sense of 
being, of be, of being okay, of being uh, good. Uh, that's that's how it comes out. That's how it comes out of my mouth. I got love to give. Maybe I'll tattoo that on my body. Yeah, love is this incredible sacrifice. It is good to give sacrificially for the good of another, which is what I take into me when he says something like, I got love to give. That is good. He's absolutely right. And I, I agree. I believe that he discovered that through introspection about the way he thinks, the way the world is, what seems right. I, I believe he found all of that. But what both of these guys know is that if the Christians are right, then Jesus is the king of love and God is love. What I wonder if they recognize is the degree to which they think that way about love or the way they do about love has been shaped by a culture that has been shaped by Christianity. In a Gospel Coalition article about Tom Holland, the historian, and his book Dominion, it says, Holland offers a long but accessible exposition of a basic idea first proclaimed by Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche saw the European intelligentsia rejecting Christianity and styling themselves as scientific free thinkers, supposedly living without God, but he argued they still believed in human rights, in the equal dignity of every person, in the value of the poor and weak, and the necessity of caring and advocating for them all. They still believed that love is the greatest value and that we should forgive our opponents. They still believed in more absolutes that some things are good and some things are evil and particularly that oppression of the powerless was wrong but Nietzsche argued that all these ideas were unique to Christianity they did not develop in Eastern cultures and the Greeks and the Romans found them laughable and incomprehensible when they first heard them Holland shows that the shame and honor cultures of old pagan Europe of the Anglo-Saxons, the Franks, and the Germans thought that the Christian ethic of forgiving one's enemy and of honoring the poor and weak to be completely unworkable as a basis for society. These ideas would have never occurred to anyone else they held to it. Uh, anyone else they held to a universe with a single personal God who created all beings in his image and with a savior who came and died in sacrificial love. The ideas only could have grown from such a worldview. They don't make sense in a different one. And in the book himself, Tom Holland writes, to be a Christian is to believe that God became man and suffered a death as terrible as any mortal has ever suffered. This is why the cross, that ancient implement of torture, remains what it has always been, the fitting symbol of the Christian revolution. It is the audacity of it, the audacity of finding in a twisted and defeated corpse the glory of the creator of the universe that serves to explain more surely than anything else the sheer strangeness of Christianity and of the civilization to which it gave birth. Today, the power of this strangeness remains as alive as it ever has. It is manifest in the greatest surge of conversions that has swept Africa and Asia over the past century, in the conviction of millions upon millions that the breath of the Spirit, like a living fire, still blows upon the world and in Europe and North America, in the assumptions of many more millions who would never think to describe themselves as Christians, all are heirs to the same revolution, a revolution that has at its molten heart the image of a God dead on a cross. Now, if you find theological problems with any of that, it comes from Tom Holland, but wow, does it carry with it the, all, of the, all of the blazing fire of pulpit preaching. The Gospel Coalition article continues, only at the very end and then only briefly does Holland pose a question that hangs over the entire book. If it's true that these humanistic values originated out of Christian beliefs, will not these values make, make less and less sense, become less and less compelling in a society that's abandoning the beliefs. 
Holland puts it like this. If secular humanism derives not from reason or from science, but from the distinctive course of Christianity's evolution, a course that, in the opinion of growing numbers in Europe and America, has left God dead, then how are its values anything more than the shadow of a corpse? What are the foundations of its morality, if not myth? So what I want to press upon someone like Link is that the things that you look inside of yourself and that you find to be good, the things that you look inside of yourself and say, this is how I will live my life according to love and according to these sorts of principles, those principles are a part of our culture, at least in strong part, at least in strong part because of Christianity. And you have severed yourself from it, at least according to the uh what we've heard i am just i'm gonna i'm inventing my own religion okay Uh oh this is what i'm gonna do i'm doing this i'm inventing my own religion it's just for me Uh oh and if you don't want to hear it don't listen because i'm about to tell you about the religion that i'm inventing that's just for me oh, God. it's not for you it's not for anybody else it can only be for me mm. it can't be for anybody else because it's just something that i'm inventing just for me I don't want you to take any of it unless you, I don't care if you take any of it, but like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. I'm, and it's real simple. I've written in my journal. I, and I don't know what I'm going to call it, but it's, it's an animal religion. Jade is teaching me to just sit in it whatever it is just sit in it she knows how to curl up in the warm spots and just be there receiving love and giving love happen at the same time with her It is important to mention that while we're saying Link started a new religion, and that is the term he used halfway through the podcast or somewhere in the midst of the podcast, he does say, well, maybe I shouldn't call it a religion, but just a spiritual practice or something like that. But, uh, but he does at times call it a religion. It's an animal religion, and Link says it's an animal religion, and, and he likes to learn from his animals. Well, I like to learn from animals, too. I think that learning from animals is an incredible thing, but the, the thing about it is that's fine, but Christianity, the Christianity you walked away from is already a religion that has a lot to say about animals. For example, Job 12, 7 through 10 says, but ask the beasts and they will teach you the birds of the heavens and they will tell you the bushes of the earth and they will teach you and the fish of the sea will declare to you who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this in his hand is the life of everything and the breath of all mankind. And in terms of just everyday living, the Bible says, consider the ant, consider the raven, consider these animals. In fact, here's a list uh, that you see going across the screen right now. Uh, somebody has listed out all the animals listed in the Bible and the passages that can go with them. I'm hoping that this list will help Link to accept uh, an even better religion that explains a lot of things about animals and where we learn from animals. And that's, oh, that's Christianity, man. To bring it back into the human realm, I was listening to Brene Brown interview at the end of last year, uh, Father Richard Rohr. Yeah. Um, he's a father of what? What? What is it? Is he a... I think he's a Jesuit. I mean, he's a Catholic. Okay. And what is Brene Brown? She's a, she's a Texan. I think she is a 
I don't know. I think maybe deconstructed evangelical. Um, I'm not sure. She, she, she's got a lot of good stuff to say. Uh, I'm not a, you know, so I, I, I just found, well, here's the one thing I wanted to highlight from their, the part two of their December 2022 conversation. Um, she, she asked him, like, what's the good word? I don't even know what that question means. Apparently he did. And he was like, I'm just spitballing here, like off the top of his head. And he said, the good word is whatever. I'm just stabbing at this, but whatever points you toward what we call the three transcendentals in scholastic philosophy, the good, the true, and the beautiful. If it points you towards those, it's a good word. I just, it's okay. I like, I, that's, that's simple. That's like, she just kind of like, you know, it's been, that's been cooking. That should boil down. That's one of those sauces. It's just, that's a good tasting sauce. You know, that's like, you know, what's that pot of stuff you get the, uh, the, the pork content You know, it's like, it's been boiling for a long time. And it's just a simmering and it's just, okay. Easy, simple, maybe not easy, simple. I like that. The true, the good, and the beautiful go back to the ancient Greeks, but they're discussed today as well, all the way up to today. The thing is, you're resolving to not know anything, and that means you're not going to be able to get to truth. You have no grounding for good. What do you mean when you say good? If you mean things that are morally good, you don't have a system that accounts for morally good things. And if you're one of those people that doesn't like uh, moral arguments for God and, and the way I'm talking right now, notice here that I'm not saying that God is the, or, uh, the, the God framework is the only framework that would allow for morality. Now, I have my personal views on that, obviously, but I'm saying that if you resolve not to know anything and thus have no basis for truth, then you have no basis for a coherent morality of any kind, even if you can have morality without God. As for beauty, same thing. So regardless of how I feel about Roar, these are truth, goodness, and beauty, good things to shoot for. The problem is that in resolving to know nothing and walking away from your Christian worldview, you've kneecapped the whole endeavor before you got started. Now, he later says, well, okay, I'm going to fudge a little bit with the truth, goodness, and beauty. With the truth, he can't really say he's resolved to know nothing anymore if he's going to say he's resolved to know some things, that he's going to put a stake in the ground and I can know at least these true things. So he says, I'm going to fudge a little bit. Like he literally says that. I'm going to fudge a little bit on this. Um, I do know some things, but we don't know what those things are. And first of all, you said you resolved to know nothing. Now you resolve to know something, but we need to know what those things are aside from just love so that we can um, ask, how do you, how did you come to know these things? And if you can know these things, why do you think you can't know a few other things? Uh, we need to get our hands into this. We need to be able to see what's going on with the worldview, but we just don't get it. Gaining a deeper appreciation for what, how our creative expression is a spiritual exercise and it has, and how it touches people. I would never have said that what we do, and I'll put a lot of this just in terms of me, but like, and you know, I think so much of it applies to you too, but this is my podcast. <laughs> episode. What episode? <laughs> yeah, this episode. Um, I never would have said that what I do and the content that we make is medicine, mm -hmm. that it's, it, that it has healing properties. But we've been told that for, for years. 
I was in the hospital and I discovered you guys. I I made it through a tough time because of you guys. I you are my comfort viewing five days out of the week. You're my safe escape from the, what life is throwing at me right now. Um, or the thing that, the aspect of my life that I will never be able to get away from. There's like a, I actually do a little bit when I'm hanging out with you guys. And I feel like we've known that to 80%, but I feel like in the last, I don't know, in the last few weeks or so, I feel like we've gained just this deeper appreciation that kind of maybe take it to 95% of like, wow, uh, we've just, uh, what we thought was a byproduct of what we do might just have been the product the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's felt so good to realize that. To realize that, you know, if I've had a hard time just being convinced that uh, that I'm a good person, well, it turns out that uh, it's been happening, that, that, that has, has, it's been true <laughs> all along. Now, it is touching to hear all of the good that has been done for people who have been watching Good Mythical Morning, their show. But I agree with that. The thing is, what undergirded it initially and what stood behind it when you guys started this whole thing was a worldview you guys had that made sense of the true, the good, and the beautiful. But now you've removed and you're trying to, you've removed that and you're trying to keep the product, the product being Good Mythical Morning, without the thing that initially motivated it and best explains it. And all the good it can, 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 maybe could have, and maybe just maybe will someday accomplish. You need that Christianity to make sense of this. And if there's something else, we need to hear what it is. But I don't feel like it's going to, I don't think it's going to be this animal religion by itself and resolving to know nothing but something but nothing. And I don't think it's going to be this idea that we just open our mind to the universe, as Rhett said, and there are these creative ideas floating by. And if you don't take them, somebody else might. I realize that they're saying they're not trying to push these things onto other people. But as we're looking at some very, very, listen, if you were one of the people who was moved by Rhett and Link, to by their they seem like intelligent smart guys and they I have no doubt they're intelligent guys and they're you know they're they're uh, charismatic they're likable they feel like your big brothers you know that can give you some good advice and hey they're not into it just remember before you walk away from Christianity that at least currently where they've landed is is that they have landed on Rhett's um, Rhett's Rick Rubin idea that there are messages of creativity floating around and you've got to tap into them with an, like an antenna and link has landed on, uh, uh, observing his animals. Um, but you know, which would be fine, but that's all it seems like, or, or maybe that and a few little things. Uh, I, I don't know where, where, listen, I just want to again say, I don't think link will ever watch this. Um, it sounds to me like he would want to stay away from stuff like this just in case it might cause uh, more, more confusion in his thinking about, about whether he should have left Christianity or whatever else. I, I don't know if that's why he wouldn't watch or what. But the fact is, um, if you do somehow watch Link, please, as 
someone who who you would have agreed with on almost everything, as someone who is uh, would have been a brother in Christ when you were in the church, as someone who you and Rhett have said is saying probably something close to what you guys might have been saying in response. I implore you to accept the foundation for the true, the good, and the beautiful. Come back to the one true God as represented in the God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. 